Amen. Good morning, Church Project. Good to see everybody this morning. Everyone's looking good for the most part. Everyone's doing all right. <laughs> I wasn't looking at you. I was looking over your head. Okay. Hey, I'm Aaron. I'm, I'm glad that everybody's here today. We got a lot of college students here. We're on Labor Day weekend. Everybody's having a wonderful weekend partying and, and having a good time. But you made it here today. So congratulations. Give yourself a round of applause. You made it to church. Hey, welcome to Church Project. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we really do hold the Bible in high regard, and so we encourage you to have your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible on the rose, and there's also a Bible over here on the lamp, and so if you don't own one, you can take that, and that's our gift to you, but we're glad that you're here today. We're, um, so typically what we do at Church Project is, is we do what's called expository teaching, and so we'll grab a book of the Bible, and we'll go verse by verse through, through that book. Uh, and it takes a long time, and it's very good. We want to know who wrote to where and to why and to how, and we all learn how to study the Bible together. It's wonderful. But I tell you what, the last few weeks, God's really put a pause on that for us. Uh, we just came through a series called Renew, and I don't know about you, but at the end of the summer, I look up and I need to be renewed. How about you? Like schedules going a thousand miles an hour, visiting and fun stuff and hard stuff. And, and we, we know just coming into the fall that we really need to take time to pause, to renew, to renew our spirit, to renew our body, to focus in on who God is. And we've been doing that the last couple weeks. And, and the aim was... What we're going to do is then go into another book of the Bible and kind of start out the fall going, hello, we're in the book of the Bible. But again, we feel like God has really hit pause on us. And he said, what I want you to talk about is another series that we're calling Pillars. Pillars. If you've ever come and looked at this wall over here, we have purpose, structure, and value. It's about church project, who we are, what we're about, all that stuff. And and in fact, today, I'm, I know he's not going to like it, but I'm going to introduce you to Keith and Christina Harrison. Keith, right there, just raise your hand. Okay, he is, he is our pastor of Church Project Southlands, uh, just Southland, just D or S, D, Southland, down, down, in, down in Aurora. And he's got a couple that came up with him as well, just to worship with us today. And so I don't know how long you've been coming to Church Project or if you know what it's about, but what we're going to do is typically we have a thing called Start Class. And in Start Class, we do it every other, you know, maybe twice a year we'll do it, come and find out about church. But we're not going to do that right now. What we're going to do is we're going to do Start Class here on Sunday morning. And so we're naming this Pillars. In fact, we got a lot to cover today. So you ready? You awake? You good to go? Okay, let's do this. Pillars, what is church? Have you ever, have you ever wondered what is church? What is church? Why do we do what we do? And especially here at Church Project, why do we do what we do? And what is the future of the church in America? Have you ever been in those kind of conversations? What is the future of the Church of America? Like, if you really want to get into some good conversations, that's a good question to start asking about. And these are some of the things that we're going to try to address this week and the upcoming weeks in this Pillar series. But um, our structure, if you look over here, our structures are Sunday gatherings. Congratulations, you made it. This is one of the things we do. 
Uh, it's one of our pillars. The other one is house churches. Uh, we're going to spend a week or two talking about house church, why we do that, why we do our Sunday gatherings. And, the, and then the third one is our ministry partnerships. In fact, today, today would have been a great day, day to do our ministry partnerships and talk about why we do them and how we do them. Because, I don't know, is Jack in here yet? Jack, Jared, um, Ryan's here. Okay, everybody was coming in with our ministry partnership swag, and I even have ministry partnership swag. Krista brought it. They're wearing theirs. They're, they're wearing their swag, and so, Ryan, what do you have? You, you have some hat for who? Okay, you have the FCA hat. There's Jack walking in, that buff guy in the Cheetos back there. He has Youth, youth for Christ. I don't know where Jared is. He has his crew thing on, and I would put mine on, but... <laughs> We're not going to do that. And there's, there, there's, crew, there's crew back there. I'm like, that's funny. We should have done ministry partnerships today. Everybody's sporting the gear. So anyways, we won't do that. I'll spare you that image. <clears throat> I'm a wrestler and I look good in it, but we don't need to flaunt that. Okay. So we're going to spend time on those, but today we're asking a very specific question. What is church? It's a pretty easy question. What is, what is church? And I'm going to attempt to talk about it in our short amount of time today. So church project, uh, as you know it and as you see it right now, back in September 17th, 2011, yes, 2011, we had our very first preview service. And for three months, we gathered and we felt like God was calling us to start a church in Greeley. So in September 17th, we had one a month, we had preview services. And then January 7th of 2012, we started our weekly gatherings. That was scary. <laughs> that was like the no turning point. Like, we're going to start meeting every week, and it comes every seven days. And I was like, oh, dear God, I hope you're in this, because this is scary. We started that on Saturday nights, January 7th, 2012. The following month, February 22nd of 2012, we started our very first house church. That was fun. That was difficult. That was fun. All this was fun and difficult. But since then, we've been on a little journey. And in fact, if you do the math right now, today we are 13 days away from our five-year anniversary as a church. I like that. That's good. That's good. I like that. And I think it's interesting that as, as I went to go start a church, and as our team came to start a church, I heavily studied what church was, and what God originally intended church to be. Of course, if you're going to go start one, you probably should know about it, right? Heavily studied it. And so it was neat this week to jump back into Scripture and to jump back into some history books and theologians and restudy and rekindle and go, all right, we're nearing like this five-year mark of what, of what church project is and what God's doing, and it's been neat studying what church is. I've had a joy doing it this week. It's been a lot of fun. I want to uh, give some proper um, cites here, citation for people. And so a lot of the information that I'm pulling from today comes from Andy Stanley. He has a series called Big Church. And if you've ever wondered about church, that's a good one to listen to. I also pulled information from Francis Chan. He has a series called Basics. And I think our youth actually just went through that study. That's incredible. And then I, I, I went through a study of David Platt. Um, he's an incredible pastor that has doing, it's doing an ongoing series called Secret Church. 
And I'm telling you, if you've never studied what church is and what it's all about, you need to go find David Platt's secret church, and it is thick, it is heavy, and you will know what church is all about. So I'm just telling you, a lot of the information I pulled from, from these, these three sources this week. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote and said, The church isn't an ideal we need to strive for. It is a reality that we are privileged to participate in. Let me say this again. Ask the question, what is church? And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Church, the church isn't an ideal we need to strive for. It is a reality that we are privileged to participate in. We are a church. We're a gathering of people who love Jesus, and then we want to know and love him more. We love Jesus. We want to know and, and love him more. We're a church. We're, we're also a project. We're an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ originally intended church to be. That's church project. What a privilege it is to dive into scripture together to dive into scripture together and to share our lives together, to serve, to love each other together, we get to do this with our one and only life. I can't think of a better way to spend my life than to spend it with you, this church. And so let's get in and let's, let's study church. I think in order to do this, what we first need to do is look at the culture leading up to New Testament. Oh, we're getting seminary in here. So take notes if you'd like to. But let's look at the culture leading up to New Testament. I think we've got to set that stage just to find out what church is. So the culture leading up to the, to the New Testament, there's a powerful Roman Empire that is polytheistic. Polytheistic means many gods. It's a polytheistic society. And this is the Roman culture. The Jews, they're stubborn. They're God's chosen people. The Jews are stubborn, living, living out the Shema. And if you've heard of the Shema, it is in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. And this is what the Shema says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So here we have a people that are living out the Shema, saying, we, how do we live in a polytheistic society? We are monotheistic. We believe that there is one God. And they are staying, they're resolute on this. The tension grows as Rome desires complete control over those that are practicing said Judaism. And Judaism encounters, as you, as you start studying church history, and you study the Judaism and the Jews and how this came about, you begin to see the church encountering what was once freedom, freedom to worship their one God. Now they, get to, they begin to get persecuted to the point of death, even under King Herod and others that are saying, no, submit to us. I'm giving you a really fast version of church history here. Under this society, this polytheistic society of, the, uh, of Roman, under the rule of Alexander the Great, enters this, this degree that says the lingua franca. The lingua franca is an implemented one word and one language. And when this is implemented, it gives way for a common language called the Kone Greek. So to this point, a multiple language and now, when this lingua franca is introduced, we have a common language, Kone Greek. This is the culture that's starting to happen at this time. 
Under the golden age of, of Rome, a lot of people will call it the golden age of Rome, we also see Pax Romana. Pax Romana means Roman peace. Roman peace. And during Pax Romana, Palestine built under the Roman rule 50,000 miles of roadways. 50,000 miles of roadways for safe travel. Roman peace, Pax Romana. Roadways that, that paved the way, by the way, for the gospel message to spread. We'll see here in a little bit. So here, here we have Lingua Franca. Here we have the Pax Romana. And it was just the right time for a savior. Culturally speaking, everything that's led up to this point, it was just the right time for a savior. God orchestrated history. It was not just an accident. We have persecution of, of Jews and Christians. We see what's happening. We have the Pax Romana. We have the Lingua Franca. And God orchestrated history. It was not just an accident. So in this great despair, imagine yourself being a Jew during this time to the point where Jews are literally getting set on fire in some cases and burned for sport. Like there's major persecution and death that is happening in this time. Imagine being a Christian during that time. Would you think that life is great and all peachy? Or would you think there's some despair around you that you can see, smell, and taste? This is what's happening culturally. Church, pause. Hope is not in the situations of the current age or state of being. Hope is not in the situations of the current age or state of being. Regardless of the political and popular reign, God is in control. It's a good message to remember, isn't it? God is in control. So the lingua franca gives a common language, Iconae Greek. The New Testament is written in it. The Pax Romana gives early Christians roads, 50,000 miles of roads to safely travel to and fro, in which we see later here in a little bit that the gospel begins to spread because of these very roads. The persecution, the death of the, of the people that were um, Jews at this time, they were leaving Jews looking for a savior to rescue them. And so culturally speaking what is happening it is time for a savior everything has been prompted and ready history is set the stage has been made for a savior to enter i think as humans we are all about conquest conquering things we're also all about awe and being in awe like we're created to worship and I think it's neat if you go study history, especially in this time, roads are being built. Things are starting to happen. Mankind, humankind, we're starting to take over and see things and explore things. And horizontal exploration has captured our heart for a long time. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Then we found out that the all roads connect, and we begin to lose some of the horizontal exploration. And so what did we do even in, what, a couple years ago? What do they call it? The stratus whatever jumper? who suddenly we're not exploring just this way as well either, but recently, recent history, we're going up and we're going down. And we had the skydiver that jumped from, I wrote it down, 128,100 feet. What do they call that? The Red Bull Strata something? 
I mean, coming down from that, like, we're exploring, like, we want to explore, we're, we're made for awe, but at the end of all our exploration, and at the end of all of our awe pursuits, horizontally, it leads us to a vertical awe of who God is. You could be jumping from 128,000, however many feet I said, 100 feet, and get the rush of your life for 10 minutes or however long. And at the end, you can land on the ground and still feel empty. All our horizontal exploration, all our all, everything leads us that we know that we are in need of a Savior, that there's something more than just this. History is pointing to this. All the Old Testament, everything that we read about here, the writings, culture, everything is pointing to our need for a Savior. So we're setting up, remember, the question is, what is church? That was a quick setup, a really fast setup. Let's talk about the New Testament. I'm going to do it just as much injustice as I did the Old Testament, but we're getting a flyby, okay? New Testament, 27 books, right? Right? Yes, I hope. Yes. 27 books written by one divine author, God, by nine human authors, written in only the span of 100 years. You realize that? Half this Bible is only written in a span of like 100 years. Eyewitness accounts of Jesus that were either directly related to him or, or they knew people that were directly related to him. This is the context of the New Testament, the second half of your, your Bible, starting in Matthew. The New Testament tells of who the Savior is and what we should expect. As we read the New Testament, it's continually painting a picture of who the Savior is and what we should expect. It tells the story of the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is a compelling and life-changing story. Have you read it? Have you gotten involved in it? Do you know the stories of it? It points to our need of a Savior and who that Savior is. And what we can expect from that Savior a couple things of the New Testament. Churches during this New Testament time that all these letters are written to and the people it's written to, they were a mess. They were messed up. Sounds like they were a project. <laughs> they, 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 were, they didn't have it all together. In fact, Paul, in one instance, he writes a letter to Corinthian or to Corinth and says, you're morally messed up, Corinth. Another time writes a letter to Galatia and says, theologically, you are messed up. Like, you're all over the place. The church did not have it together. So when we think back on the New Testament church, and we say we desire to be a church closely resembling that, we got to also remember that they had no clue. They, they were just as aimless as we are. They were a project just like we are in a pursuit to discover what Christ is and who he is and their relationship with him. So don't look back at the early church with romantic eyes and go, oh, if we could only be like them. In a lot of ways, we have it a lot better than the early church. So the New Testament church, Acts 20, verse 7. You're going to like this. So go to Acts 20, verse 7. We're going to spend a lot of time in Acts. Ta-da! You knew that. You knew it was coming. Can't talk about what is church without going to Acts. Ryan, you're really going to like this one, bud. It is, it is a good one. Yeah. I randomly pick people, so there you go. (laughs) This one's funny. This one's more for my enjoyment than anyone else, so would you please humor me? Acts 20, verse 7, where's it at? On the first day of the week, here, 
Here we go. There we go. Acts 20, verse 7. On the, on the first day of the week. Oh, by the way, it's on page 642 of your blue Bible. If, if you want to open that up, page 642 of the blue Bible. So this is Paul. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bed, Paul talked with them. So he's talking and, he, and he's instructing. He's telling the church. He's, he talked to them, intending to depart the next day. So you get this, there's a gathering of people, Paul's teaching, talking about God, the Savior, and he intended to depart the next day. Okay, that was his intentions, right? And he prolonged his speech until midnight. We might be here for a while, people. What a good meeting. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and and a young man named, whatever his name, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Paul, the great orator, put this dude to sleep as he spoke until midnight. Church, I hope you brought a snack. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. He died. He fell out of the window and died. But Paul went down and bent over him and and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten and conversed with them a long while. The dude died and he still goes upstairs and continues to speak. I mean, whatever. What do you got to do to get out of a church service, okay? (laughs) And he spoke until daybreak. What did he have to talk about? Uh, dude, okay, you get that? Okay, no, that was really for me more than anyone else. I thought that was beautiful. But look, Paul, I mean, so changed by this love message that what is he doing? He's preaching. He can't help. He's compelled. He's talking. There's teaching. The church is hungry. It's a people that have been changed by a person, a savior, and they're all in, even after dying out of a window. So... Please forgive me for this message. I've already done the Bible great injustice, and I literally, I'm trying to pack in a a whole seminary worth of class in our short time together. So I'm just barely hitting some things here. We are taught so we can teach and reproduce. Paul's life was changed. So why? He could teach. And he could reproduce this love and joy message. And anyone and everyone that would listen. And you see how passionate he was. The early church, though not perfect, they had a lot of passion, didn't they? Man, church, I pray that we'd be a church full of passion. That we would stay up till the wee hours late talking about scripture. I got to get back on my notes. Okay, here we go. The book of Acts is the story of the early church, a group of people captivated by the person of Jesus. And if you want to go to Acts chapter 1, we're going to spend a lot of time just running through this Acts book. So Acts chapter 1, if you'll go to that, just flip back a few pages. Acts chapter 1 is this early church and the story of it and, and how Jesus is going to change the world. But you notice it also already in verse 11, Jesus is gone. He's out of the scene. And the rest of the story is his people being led by his spirit. Jesus is no longer in the picture. It's his church trying, being led by his spirit to figure out what this is. A summary of the book of Acts, if you want to study it. It's a story of the New Testament church. 
really can be found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So if you'll look at verse 8, it's on page 628 of your blue Bible. Acts 1.8 is the summary of the whole book of Acts, and this is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. The rest of the book of Acts is this love message and the, the disciples being witnesses as the gospel message spreads to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Oh, it's a great book. Lot, okay, here's a, there's a lot of history about church. So let's get to the question, okay? What is church? Anyone want to answer that? <laughs> it's a trick question. I just needed water. <laughs> what do you think about when I say the word church? I mean, what, what, what comes to your mind? I don't know what, if you've grown up in church or it's your first time here, if, sorry, if, if so, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Um, but what do you think about when you hear the word church, okay? Some of us, we, we might think of buildings. We might think of programs. We might even think of Sunday school with the felt boards. Raise your hand if, if you know what I'm talking about there, okay? What do you think of when you think of the word church? Well, let's, I'm going to look at some Greek for a little bit. The Greek word in the New Testament is ekklesia. Can everyone say ekklesia? Ekklesia. I don't know if you're familiar with that word or not, but I just taught you Greek. <laughs> ekklesia. Our Bibles translate that word, ecclesia, from Greek to the word church. So when you're reading through the Bible and you come across the word church, you know in, in the original text it was ecclesia, what it was trans- translated from. The, which, which means this, the, the word ecclesia means assembly, gathering, congregation. And it also means gathered around a movement. And so when we read this Greek word, ekklesia, it was an early church, and it was talking about a people that were gathered around a movement. You get it? Relational movement. That's what this word ekklesia means. Well, what movement are these people gathered around? Well, there's many movements that the early church was gathered around. One is the Pentecost. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit overflowing. The Spirit caused these men and women to suddenly speak the language of all the people that were gathered there. It was a powerful movement of people and things that were happening at that time as the Holy Spirit was released to people. And as this was being taken place, and we'll read about this here in a little bit, um, Peter stands up, one of the apostles, the disciples, stands up and, and gives really the first message of the very first church service right here at this time. And he begins to talk about what was happening in this movement. As now Jesus is gone, the Holy Spirit has been given to us, and the early church is relationally moving together. Of movement. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to skim through this story a little bit, and you can read about the Pentecost and Acts chapter 2 and everything that happened. But right now, people are gathered, and the Holy Spirit is now released. God is beginning to speak to people and to move, to pe- move in people's hearts. And so go down to verse 22. And in verse 22, Peter stands up and gives the first message, and this is what he says as they're experiencing this as a large crowd of people. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested 
attested to you by God with many works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know this day, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be healed by it. All right, let's hit a pause. I want to clarify some things. These are people that are gathered together that literally just months ago witnessed Jesus being crucified on a cross. Many of them saw it. Many of them knew people that saw it if they weren't there. And so now the Holy Spirit is pouring over this church and Peter gets up and gives a message and he says, you crucified Jesus. Like you, you saw it, you saw it, you knew what was happening. Now let's go to verse 37. I'm skimming the story here, people. Let's go to verse 37. People are going, what shall we do? They're, they're, they're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. They're seeing miracle things, miraculous things happening. And Peter stands up and said, you crucified Jesus. And they go on verse 37. What should we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Go down to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. Wow. I'm not going to end there because I like verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. Look at Acts chapter 2, um, 32 through 33. This Jesus God raised up and, that, and of that we are all witnesses. See that? We are all witnesses. Many of us have seen him die on the cross just a few months ago. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that this uh, out that that wait, let me start. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing and he's teaching and he's saying we are witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They accurately represent what they've seen and what they've experienced. Does this sound like church to you so far? What we begin to see in the disciples at this time and the apostles at this time is we get to see this fancy word called contextualization. And the contextualization is for the different settings of people as this message goes to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. It's taking this love message of Jesus Christ and what he's done and wrapping it in a language that the people of the world can understand. So in the midst of this powerful unleashing of the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up and he begins to explain what's happening and he begins to explain that God is doing a new thing and that the church, the ecclesia, is about a people that are moving together in in movement. Things are happening. So if I set the stage okay with that, we have the same gospel as the apostles did. We have the same message 
They address the same group of people in different ways. They contextualized the message. They, they were wise in how they talked about Jesus to the people wherever they went. The early church was a powerful movement built around a relationship with God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and each other. It was a powerful group of people. Let's continue in Acts. Acts chapter 4, flip a few pages over, 630 of your blue Bible. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. You know, at least 3,000 of them are there, right? And they're of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They had everything in common. The church at large, a people that were being moved and in a movement had everything in common. They were of one heart and one mind, of one soul. Beautiful group of people. John 17, 21 says this, that, and it's Jesus praying a prayer over us, and he says this, that they may all be of one, just as you, Father, are in me and I are in you. That they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And Jesus prays for us, his church, that we would be one. We see this relational storyline that's beginning to happen. The church is a group of people that are tied together relationally for movement. You see what's happening? Paul and Barnabas later on in Acts 17, 11, and you can, you can read that. But Paul and Barnabas, as they're contextualizing the message and they're telling people about the love of Jesus of Christ, however they can in whatever form that they can, they, they, begin to spot, they begin to speak and they're traveling to different cities that have synagogues in them. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul and Barnabas says this, Now these Jews were, all, uh, were more, no, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. People loved the scripture. And this is easy to miss because how many of you have, have a Bible in your hand? Okay, good. How many of you have a, a Bible app on your phone? Okay, how many of you have a lot of Bibles at home? How many of you have access to a Bible? Not so in this age. They didn't have a Bible app that they could just get together and go, hey, meet me in Starbucks and let's examine the scriptures together. They did not have that. In fact, what do they have to do? In order for them to search the scriptures together, there's literally one copy on a scroll. And what do they have to do? Relationally get together and look at their one scroll and debate and talk and study and examine the scriptures together. Are they alone or are they together? Relationally, you see what God is doing. They're searching the scripture together on a scroll, community of believers together, reading the Bible as a group, church. They were complete in unity. We cannot do church on our own. It's relationships through and through, from the beginning to the end. It's relationships. So we see the New Testament church. The ecclesia is about relationships with each other. It's about relationships with God. And this church is about a movement sharing their life 
sharing this life-changing message of Jesus' life, burial, and resurrection with Judea, Samaria, and beyond. And the early church was in awe. What is church? Well, so far it looks good. Now I'm really going to speed it up, okay? Fast forward to 380. 300 AD, something bad happens. The meaning of this word, ecclesia, starts being translated into a German word, Kirche. Anyone speak German? K-I-R-C-H-E. This ecclesia word begins translated now into Kirche, and Kirche in German means the Lord's house, which means the gathering place. So what was Ecclesia, a group of people relationally on a movement together? Now in 300 AD, this word gets, I don't know, stolen, hijacked, whatever. And now this word now is beginning to be translated as church, a place, not a people on movement. See that happening in 300 AD. Only a few short years after it meant so much more. Oh, but if you want to control people, you control their language, don't you? This word is hijacked, and we read the church history about a dark time when the gospel message became more about buildings and control and power and less about being, about being part of a relational movement, all because of a translation. Oh, but to speed things up even, even more, along comes William Tyndale. A lot of us may be familiar with this name when, you know, William Tyndale. He translates from the original Hebrew and Greek text into the English language. We can thank him for having our Bibles right now. And prints the Bible for the average man, woman, and child. And his translation of ecclesia is now regained. And instead of it meaning a place, he translates ecclesia as a congregation. And we begin to get the word back. That it's about a people moving together over a beautiful message. So when we read Matthew 16, 18, and that's on page 567. When we read Matthew 16, 18, this is what it says. And I tell you, you are Peter. And it's Jesus talking to Peter. And when I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It means so much more when you translate it as ecclesia versus a place. And on this rock... Peter, I will build my ecclesia, and I am that rock that I am building my ecclesia. It's not about a church building a place, but it is about a gather, gathering, a congregation, a movement, a movement of people about a simple message. Church project. May we be about relationships with each other and God as part of a movement of sharing the life-changing message of Jesus' life, burial, and resurrection with all Judea, Samaria, 
and to the ends of the world. And may we be in awe as we do this life together pointing to him. I skipped over a lot. But I think you may get the thrust of what we're talking about. If I were to ask you, what do you think of when you hear the word church? Hopefully you think of relationships. You think of Jesus. You think of sharing that with the world. The early church did not have it together. We do not have it together. We call ourselves a project where we're, we're trying to figure this thing out. We just know that life is hard. And we just know that this, this message, it confuses us at times, but it captivates us at times. And we know doing this thing, church together, being us, this body, there's conflict in this body. There's hard things that happen in this body. Each and every one of us is going through hard things and awesome celebrating things. And together we're in a movement doing this thing together. And I'll tell you this, the first way that Satan will attack you is try to remove you from the seat. He'll try to take you out of house church. He'll try to separate you. And he'll begin to hijack that, that, that word again, church in your mind. And you'll think you can go attend church when really you are church. You are part of a movement. Are you linking arms with each other? Are we doing this together? And when I wrong you, are we in relationships so much that I can go and apologize and you're going to forgive me? And will you apologize to me? And will you spur me on to love and good deeds? It's about a movement of people doing life together because sometimes life is hard and difficult and we need each other, church. So no longer think that church is a place we go, but it's a privilege to be a part of this movement together. 